Um, so we are in Philippians chapter 4. We have been in a series right now on gratitude in Philippians because Paul, for a guy who's writing from jail, seems remarkably grateful and telling the Philippian church that they should be grateful too, which is a pretty big deal. And so we've been talking about this idea of gratitude and Paul's message to the Philippians. Um, a few weeks ago, it's been, it's been God is always very, uh, well, God knows what he's doing in terms of the timing of some of these messages and even the people who are teaching them. Because three weeks ago, Pastor Dave was sharing about the idea of our sights being set on heaven and the idea of this eternal kingdom that we're living for and, and setting our sights also on people who are an example to us of the faith. And the very week that Pastor Dave was preaching on that, writing that sermon, his own father passed away as he shared. And, um, and so a lot of that time was spent focusing on not only what is to come for Dave as he was sharing, but also the example that his own father had been. Pastor Justin was sharing last week about um, the idea of standing firm. We're talking about that for two weeks. Last week was standing firm in the things that we do and the way that we behave. This week, we're going to talk about standing firm in the things that we believe and what we think about. But even as Justin was sharing last week, talking about standing firm and actually trusting God and not being anxious, he was also sharing the news of he and Megan expecting a child, and uh, that being not entirely planned, um, and so the anxiety that comes with that. And I think um, this week, um, we're going to be talking about something that has been very deeply personal for me, especially in the time that I've been away that I'm going to share with you guys. So Philippians 4, 8 through 9, I'll put them up on the screen, just two verses, right? That's not much. We'll be out of here really quick, um, like the first service was. Um, 4, 8 through 9 of Philippians says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is talking about our minds here. The mind is incredibly powerful. It is incredibly powerful and it has the ability to move us in ways that many of us often don't even want to admit or acknowledge. Christians are sometimes uncomfortable with the idea of subconscious mind, the idea that we do things and believe things that we're not even aware of or thinking about or doing. But I believe that the Bible teaches us very much that that exists and that that's actually a lot of why we do the things that we do spiritually is because of the things that we're thinking about and believing even if we're not immediately aware of them. And that's why Jesus um, calls people to introspection quite a bit. I'm aware of this more than, more than most, the ability of our mind and our thoughts to greatly direct even our bodies uh, because I've seen it happen in my life several times. About a month ago, I, was, uh, I had had one, about one too many people comment, hey, you've lost a lot of weight. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the good kind. It was like the concerned kind. Um, in fact, I had somebody yesterday in, uh, in a coffee shop, like, they were sitting at a table next to me, and then, they, and then I talked to them like 30 minutes after they sat down. They were like, oh, I didn't even know, I didn't even remember who you were. I didn't recognize you because you're so, you lost so much weight, right? And uh, so I've lost like 35 pounds in, the, in like the last six months, okay? Which, you know, there's obviously a lot to go still. But, 
I was like, okay, this is not that surprising to me because when I get anxious, when I get worried, when I get stressed, the first thing to go is food. I know, I know, right? A lot of you were like, well, that must be nice, right? Because yes, I've heard that from everyone. My wife loves saying that to me. Well, that must be nice. Um, uh, Believe me, there's downsides to this, as you're about to hear. Um, So I like lose a bunch of weight, and I'm like, I know it's just because I'm stressed, anxious, whatever. It's not a big deal. Um, this, is happen- this happens. It's like not a big deal, you know. Um, and, uh, and then, like a month ago, I, start, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had night sweats. I don't know if you've ever had night sweats, but they're incredibly disorienting and weird thing to have. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're covered in sweat. There you go. That's why they call them night sweats, right? Now, I am a smart person, so I looked it up online, uh, and, uh, and it wasn't menopause, so I was like, okay, that narrows out like a lot. That's like a lot of people that have it, you know. I, I, I asked in the first service, anybody, you guys know, anybody know what that's like? And people are like, yeah, you know, I know what that's like. So, so it started happening again and again, and, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm just going to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. And I said to my doctor, you know, they weighed me. And then I was like, uh, and, you know, I've had these, like, night sweats or whatever. And I think, you know, it's anxiety, but I just want to make sure. And my doctor kind of had that look, you know, that you kind of don't want to see in your doctor of, whoa, okay, this might be really serious. And I said, I know, I know it's not good, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, not anything serious. Um, and, uh, and the doctor said, well, we'll run a bunch of tests. And uh, because it, we want to rule out all the serious stuff, it, it could be all these things, which are not bad, not good, any of them, or it could just be your mind. That's it. It could just be you doing this, right? It could just be your mind and anxiety doing these things to your body. So I get all these tests done, all these blood tests and everything, and I, I, I get them back, and they say, I'm okay, I'm fine. And so the doctor's like, all right, well, then, like, you need to figure this out, you know, because... Your body's fine, but your mind doesn't seem to be, and it seems to be affecting your body. She said it very nicely, much more nicely than that, you know, very concerned. So then uh, I was like, okay, fine. And then a lot of people gave me some really good advice. They were like, you should eat food. And so I started doing that. (laughs) But as I was eating food, um, it was like starting to get difficult to do that. And like I was having all these issues, like my stomach really hurt and all this stuff. And I didn't even have an appetite, even though I was anxious. And so then I like, I call my father-in-law, who's a doctor. He's a kidney doctor, kind of general region that I was dealing with. So I, I called him and, and I said, hey, Jim, like, here's kind of what's going on. I'm pretty sure it's anxiety or whatever, you know, but um, just want to, you know, know what you think. And he's like, I, he didn't give me the look. He was over the phone, but I think he was having the look, you know, and he was like, oh, so what else has happened? And I told him, I lost a bunch of weight and night sweats. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, I was like, but I got all these tests. And he's like, yeah, those tests don't really tell you about this other thing now that's going on. So you should go back to the doctor and you should maybe get some kind of scan or something. And I was like, okay. Um, because um, it could be something pretty bad, and, uh, or it could just be your mind. <laughs> That's it. It could just be your mind. Uh, so I go to the doctor, and they give me, like, I get a CAT scan, um, and, uh, which is kind of a big deal. If you pass that test, you're, you're okay. And, uh, and 45 minutes after it, I get an email which I'm thinking is good. That's good news, right? And, uh, and it was. It was good news. It said everything was clear. And uh, because if it wasn't, uh, then I would have big problems on my hands. But because it was clear, 
it was immediately apparent to me the moment I read that email that all of this, everything that's been going on, is 100% my mind. That it is physically causing all these things to happen. And like the moment I got that email, the moment I read that thing, like everything went away. Like all of the pain and all the weird stuff and everything just was gone. And I was fine because apparently my mind had been messing up my body to such a great degree. The truth is, this is a real thing. That our mind, what we think about and what we fix our minds on, has a tremendous impact on the way we live. Um, Where we are headed in terms of our thoughts dictate a lot about our lives. In fact, like neuroscience is telling us this more and more every day. It says the way the human brain works is the more you think about a thing, the more prone you are to think about it later because the way your brain circuitry works is it's like a path in the woods. And the more you walk along a certain path, the more worn in the path gets and the more likely you are when you show up at that spot to see that path and go right down it without even thinking about it. And so I tend to ruminate on things, which is a word for just sitting there thinking about things that you can't in any way control. I know none of you know what that's like. And so I'm thinking about things, thinking to myself, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. Or somehow what I'm doing is going to help down the road. But it never does. It never helps in any way. It never comes up with a solution. I never solve it. I'm never better prepared. And instead what I'm doing is I'm actually telling myself, you're going to keep thinking these things. You know, think of tomorrow and next week and maybe next month and maybe next year if you don't find a way to fix your mind on something different. Paul is saying to people that it's not only the actions of the things that they do that dictate whether or not they're able to stand firm. He's saying to people, it is our minds and our thoughts and the very things that we simply spend time thinking about Not even if we don't entirely agree with them or believe them, the stuff that we spend our time thinking about influences our ability to even stand firm. And so we need to fix our gaze on something, and that thing, whatever it is, is going to determine the trajectory of our whole lives because that's the thing that we'll spend our time thinking about. What do you think about? What do you think about? What do you spend your time thinking about? Maybe when there's nothing going on, what do you think about? Maybe when you're really busy and a lot's going on, what do you think about? What do you think about in the middle of the night? What do you think about first thing when you wake up in the morning? What are the things that are going on in our minds? Is it possible that maybe you've tried to live and act and even behave a certain way Or maybe you've even tried to change how you live and how you act and how you behave and it doesn't work because the way that you think, the things that you think, the things you spend your time thinking about haven't changed. And according to the Bible, that's a recipe for nothing changing and everything staying the same. It may even be possible that the circumstances of your life, like me, are great, but you still worry. You're still afraid. You don't even maybe know why. But that's the stuff that you spend your time thinking about. Paul's advice is to fix our mind to think about this list of things that he gives. And I want to look at these things, or a bunch of them, uh, because 
it's important that he says the words that he said and he uses the language that he uses. The first thing that Paul says here is he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. I'm gonna blow your minds here. When Paul uses the word true, what he means, if you interpret it in the original languages and such and look at the context, is real. I hope that's helpful to you guys. He means what's true and what's real. He says, think about things that are true, not things that are false. And we go, why in the world would I think about things that aren't true? Why would I spend my time thinking about things that aren't true? Who on earth thinks things that aren't true? How many of us spend a lot of our time actually thinking about things that aren't true? That there are true things about us that we won't believe, that we won't listen to. There are true things about the world that we refuse to believe and listen to and think about. And there are things more important than anything else about God that we refuse to believe and listen to and think about. And instead, we think about lies. And we believe these things again and again and again. And if these are the things that we ruminate on, if these are where our minds tend to gravitate towards, then what would that do to us? Um, there are these basic things about God that, that we read about in Scripture. And these things are everything. If you believe them, if you think about them, if you spend time thinking about them, then they affect everything about your life and the way that you live. One of them is this, that God is good. God is good. The Bible tells us that all over the place, that God is truly good, which means that he satisfies unlike anything else that we could ever look to to satisfy us. That life is found in him, and that satisfaction is found in him, and that joy is found in him. That he's not just good for you, like health food, but he is good to you, like enjoyable to us. Do we believe that God is actually that? That he satisfies us, that he is good I know it's true that God loves me more than anyone else ever could, that he cares about me in a way that I could never even care about my own children. That in that way, God is good. But do I think that? Do I think about that? Or do I spend my time thinking about the opposite of that? Do I find pleasure in things, in people, in substances, in work, in relationship, or do I, trust, do, do, I, do I trust that God loves me and that what he wants is actually my best and for his best? Do I believe these things? Or do I look everywhere else for pleasure and satisfaction? And do I believe that, yeah, even though maybe God's like big and in control of a lot of things, that I can't really trust him? because I don't know if he's really good. Apart from being good, God is also great, which means he's bigger and he's more powerful, and it means that God is in control, which means I'm not in control. And as much as, you know, we'd all like to believe that that would be something that we would want to believe, how hard is that for many of us to believe? That if God is great and God is in control, then that means that I don't have to be in control. And you go, well, that's not a relief because I want to be in control. 
I only know how to be in control. Well, the Bible tells us that God is great and he is in control, which means that I don't have anything to fear. I don't have anything that I need to worry about, that I need to be anxious about, that I need to be afraid of, because I'm not in control. God is in control, and he's good. And so not only is he capable, but he is also good, and he loves me. And so I can trust him. Fear is one of the most debilitating and consuming things that can exist in a person's life. I know from experience. And fear existing in the life of a a Christian, of a person that follows Jesus, is about as necessary as gills on a person that doesn't live in the water. It just doesn't belong because it's not needed. Because you, you can trust in the greatness and the control of God. You see this if you have young children or if you have children of any age who struggle to trust and who want to be in control even though you know that they're not and that they probably shouldn't be right now. Am I afraid? Am I worried? Do I fear because I can't actually believe that God's got this? This is one that I struggle with a lot. And when I think about this, one thing continually comes back to my mind. First of all, when I am struggling and I go to people to talk with them, to get advice, to hear things from people, I have learned that, that, that the closest, best people in my life are the ones that will tell me these things that are true of God. As much as when things are going badly or I think they're going to go badly and I want someone to comfort me by telling me they won't go badly, my real friends will say to me those two words that I hate hearing, so what? They'll say, so what? So what if that happens? So what if this happens? What does that change about who God is and about what you know is true about him? And I was talking to one friend who had at one point been struggling very seriously with a life-threatening disease with children, and I was talking about God being in control, and he said, do you think that you're really the one that is in control of what's going on in your own kids' lives, the people that I feel the most responsible for. When I think about this, God being great, I continue to think again and again and again about my children. This is cheating, but I'm gonna do this. Right, it's not what they look like now. Specific reason I picked this and not now, okay? Both of our children are adopted, And one of the most beautiful things about adoption is that God takes something that at one point was difficult and was painful, and he makes it into something beautiful, and he redeems it. And it's an amazing thing to get to be a part of, right? Uh, This was the first picture that we ever got of Tegan. Uh, He was halfway across the world in Ethiopia when this picture was sent to us. And the moment that we got this picture, all I wanted as his dad, was to take care of him, to protect him, to provide for him. But I couldn't. For months, I couldn't. All I could do was pray for him and trust that God was going to take care of him. We even had to go there and meet him and do the adoption and then come back home without him before going again. And all we could do was trust that the God who had taken care of him up till that point, would continue to do so according to his own will. And the incredible thing about 
these kids, when I think about them, is that they are a reminder to me constantly that God is their father, and God has taken care of them, and God is the one who has been in control for them, and it hasn't been me. And that's a really hard thing for me to accept because I spend most of my time taking care of them and thinking about them, and I'd give my life for them in a heartbeat, and I would have before I met them. But the truth is that if God is great, then we know that that's true of him. And at a point at which neither one of my parents had a parent to take care of them, that God was there for them because he is the one who is in control. And I could trust that the same God that brought them into our life is the one that I can trust with them now. I think about this again and again and again because for some reason I don't want to believe that God is in control, that God is great. I want to believe that I'm great because I think I'm great. Even Justin was talking last week about Megan getting pregnant and them having to drive across country. She had to drive a car with a trailer behind it alone while incredibly sick. And the incredible feeling of powerlessness that comes knowing you can't do anything about this, but you feel like you should do something. And that it wasn't, and that he freaked out and freaked out for a while, and then they got to the end of it, and he saw God's got us covered, that God is, is taking care of us, that God is in control. Now, I don't say that God is great means everything will always be fine, and everything will always be the way that I want it. The very nature of even adoption is that everything isn't always fine, and that things almost seem to start out not the way that you want them to start out in a person's life. But the good news is we're all adopted, and that that's a really, really good thing because God is in control for us too. God is gracious. And what that means is that I don't have anything that I need to prove. I don't need to prove anything to God or to you or to myself because where I stand with him and where I stand in this universe, in this world, is not based in any way on any good or bad things that I have done. Which is crazy because that's how nothing works in the world. That's how nothing works. Everything works the opposite. You do the right thing and something good happens. You work hard and you are rewarded. How can we possibly have a society or a civilization or do well in life without living that way? And so you mean to tell me that the same principle that's true in everything else is not true with God because he's gracious and his grace means that the only reason that I have anything to stand on, any leg to stand on, is because God has chosen to be gracious with me. And I say, yes. God is gracious, so I don't have anything that I need to prove. And if I fix my mind on that, then I will be okay, even though it's so hard for me to believe. Am I dragging around this burden of trying to fix myself, trying to accomplish things, trying to work hard enough so I can feel some kind of fleeting sense of contentment? Okay, I'm good now. I've taken care of things now. I've proven myself now. I can feel good about my life now or even just my day now. But God is gracious. This is true. This is real. So think about this thing. And let it counteract the other things that you're prone to think about. And the last one is that God is glorious. 
which means God's opinion matters and no one else's does. How good, news is, how, how good of news is that? This means I don't have to fear anybody else. And you go, well, I'm not afraid of people. Yes, you are. We all are. We all care about the opinions of other people. And as much as we're supposed to think on things that are real and that are true, which is that on the scale of things, on the scope of things, the only opinion about me that ever matters is God's opinion of me. I spend so much of my life believing that what matters is what other people think about me. And so I am swayed by those opinions and those thoughts. My very identity can be rooted in simply how I think other people see me and how they perceive of me. I'm sure no one here knows at all what this is like. To feel like you are being driven by the opinions and the thoughts of other people. And that you at times stop and are ashamed, maybe, at how much you care about what other people think, about how other people feel. In fact, some of the people in this world who uh, kind of set themselves apart more than anyone as not caring what other people think still obviously care what other people think. They've just decided, I'm going to be the opposite of that. I still don't get to be who I am independent of those people and their opinions of me. And the freedom that comes from knowing that God is glorious, which means he's so magnificent and so amazing and so weighty and so holy that in in face of him, none of that other stuff matters. And that leaves me completely free to know that my identity can be in him and I don't have to fear anybody else. Do I believe, and by the way, how, how hard is this now versus 20 years ago where all you had to worry about was the people right in front of you, right? And now it's like literally every person I know I'm, a, I'm connected to online. And so like I'm constantly aware of the ability I have to be perceived by people a certain way and how much of our lives are devoted simply to our PR campaign, basically of how other people are going to see us. Can we even think? Some of us, if we're honest, we can't even think of ourselves outside of that. We can't think of a single good thing that we do outside of how we communicate it to other people and how they respond to it and whether they like it or not. Do I believe in things that are true and that are real or do I allow my time to be spent, my mind to be spent focusing on things that aren't real, that are lies, that aren't true? And what would that do to a person? Paul is saying, think about, first and foremost, that which is true. This is the first step in you fixing your mind on something that is good. He goes on and says, whatever is honorable. And honorable is, is being worthy of respect. It's being dignified. And what that means is it means literally that which is important. So Paul is saying, think about the things that are important and don't think about the insignificant things. You go, well, of course I think about important things. Why would I think about things that aren't important? It's not like I spend my time thinking about stuff that just doesn't matter. Yes, we do. In fact, some of us, if we're honest, spend a lot of time thinking about things that don't matter at all. For whatever reason, we've just decided I'm going to spend my time thinking about stuff, maybe because other people do, maybe because it seems important to, to, I don't know, 
some group or some person, that, that that's where I'm going to spend my time thinking. Maybe we're tired and we're stressed and we're just like, I need a break. And so for a whole season of life, I'm going to think about nothing but stuff that doesn't really matter. And Paul says, think about the things that are honorable, that have significance, that mean something. Do you think about things that actually matter? What matters? Well, people matter. God matters. His kingdom matters. Relationships matter because people matter. Things like love and mercy and grace, these are things that matter. These are things worth thinking about. Compassion is worth thinking about. These are important things. And so Paul's saying, don't spend your time and your thoughts thinking about insignificant things. And we all have our ways that we like to do this. We like to check out. We like to, I mean, some of us think about sports all the time. Some of us think about the remodel for our house or the next one or the house that we're about to buy or the one that we're selling. Some of us think about our garden. Some of us think about our next vacation, what we're binge watching, the next tournament that we're in, how to put on eyeshadow the right way. Seriously, like, like really, really, really think about that and spend time thinking about it. Go on YouTube and see the things that entire communities are devoted to thinking about and taking seriously that in the scheme of things are not that significant and say that we don't struggle to think about things that are not honorable. And some of us, unfortunately, in an effort to think about important things, only end up thinking about bad things, anxious things. So we don't think about serious stuff, important, weighty things. And then when we do, it's always stuff that's bad. We're only thinking about it because we're anxious about it. We're only thinking about the bad things that can happen, the earthquake that's coming, and what it's going to do, how it's going to split us right in half, getting sick, having enough money, how much we hate our boss, the fact that everything seems worse maybe than it used to be. That's something that some people think a lot about. And by the way, it's not worse than it used to be. <laughs> but it's something that a lot of us can occupy our time thinking about, that, that things used to be good and now they're not. That now I can be anxious. And so the only thing that we think about of significance, and think about what that does to, to us as people, how that affects us in the way that we live. If all that we devote our serious brain power to that's significant are bad things, what that does to us, the kind of bitterness, the kind of resentment that comes from that. Christians are supposed to be people who think and think soberly, think clearly and that we think about important things. We're not supposed to be smarter than everybody else, but we're supposed to think about these things a lot. We're supposed to have thought about these things and wrestle through them, the things that really matter in life, that we care about people and that we care about God because they matter and they have significance. Paul says whatever is just, and whatever is just refers to things that have been reconciled to God. It's like this idea of being righteous or something that was at one point not just, but now is just, right? So something that's been redeemed. This means don't think, this is a basically, this is honestly a glass half full kind of a thing. 
He's saying, instead of thinking about all the lies, think about the beauty of truth. Instead of thinking about the pain, think about the joy. Instead of focusing on the things that are corrupt, think about the things that are not and think about what it looks like for something to be redeemed by God. And let that be what your mind is fixed on, not the other, which is all the sin everywhere. Don't don't ruminate on what is wrong because that's not what Paul did. That's not what Jesus did. They could have done that, but they didn't do that. In fact, when people ask them about things that were wrong and about rules and about who was right and who was wrong, they usually talk instead about positive things. Not because they're afraid of saying that something's wrong, but because they believe that it's important to talk about the good things in God and who he is and that he brings life. He says, whatever is pure. This is really easy. This is things that are pure, which means don't think about stuff that's bad. Don't think about bad things. Now, this is actually really hard, too, because I think for many of us, it's like not that big of a deal to think about bad stuff. It's like I won't do bad things. I won't act badly. I won't say bad things. I won't behave badly. But just give me my thoughts for crying out loud. Let me think about what I want, right? Paul is telling us the most offensive thing you can say to somebody. Here's what you should think. Don't tell me what to think, we could say back to Paul. Because he's saying, I know that, like, we, we believe that it's kind of good for us to have a little bit of bad in there, right? To think about a little bit bad, to engage a little bit in the things that are kind of the guilty pleasures and the things that probably aren't good for us, but, you know, that's what makes me human and that's okay. And that's what life needs. That's what I need. That's what my mind needs to have some space for those things. He says, only think about the things that are pure. Focus on whatever is pure. Believe that life is found in that and that there's a reason why the other things aren't actually pure. And don't put your mind on those things. He says, whatever is lovely. This is why people put up posters of tropical islands like in their office. I once went to this guy's office. He was a dean at a high school and he had a really sad office. It was like in the interior of the building, down in the basement. There were no windows and there was like flickering fluorescent lights and he had a tiny desk and almost nowhere to sit next to the desk. And I mean, I guess they wanted kids when, when they went down there to, you know, be sad, I guess. But sadly, he had to work there. And, uh, and so his, his walls were just filled with pictures of tropical islands, like a beach and like the mountains and stuff. And they were just, that was all the walls of his office because he just like, that's what he needed to focus on, right? This is why we have pictures of our family on our desk and up in our house. This is why my refrigerator has really bad art on it. Uh, But I think it's lovely, right? Because these things remind us, we focus on, on the things that we love and the things that we find beauty in because that's important to us. One of my favorite, probably my favorite thing any year in our family is that we, we've, the last few years at least, we've gone to, we went to Black Butte Ranch and we like got this condo uh, for a couple days and, and it's like not the nicest condo in the world, but it doesn't matter because it looks out at the Sisters Mountains and it looks out at the most beautiful sight that you've ever seen at a time of year when everything is just so gorgeous and we spend half our time just sitting there looking at it, just taking it in. Because we need to focus on the things that are lovely. We need that. And we have no excuse in the Pacific Northwest. We have no excuse not to do this. Because it is really beautiful here. And we can look out anywhere at any time of year, almost any time of year, and we can see, like, 
beauty and we can see things that are lovely. And Paul is saying, whatever is lovely, whatever is appealing to you that is good, that is from God, that he has made, focus on those things. It's not just the mountains. It's the people. It's the good things. It is the joy. Think about these things. Give these things space in your mind and let them crowd out the other stuff that is not these things. Paul goes on and he begins to be more general in his language. He begins to say, whatever is commendable, anything that's excellent, anything that's worthy of praise. And in here, we begin to see probably one of the most important principles in this whole passage. Paul isn't just talking about how to think about good things. Paul is saying something very specific to a group of people who are going through something really specific. And if we miss this, we miss the main point of what he's saying to them. And here's what it is. Paul is in prison. His life is not going well. And yet, he's grateful, and he's hopeful, and he's joyful. And he's writing to a group of people in a town who are undergoing persecution. The Philippian church is a group of people who are dealing with a lot of persecution from the culture and the, and the, and the Roman society outside the walls of their house church and their community. And so he's giving them advice on how to live in that world, how to live in a hostile world that is persecuting you. And his advice to them is this. This word whatever, when you translate it, it means anything. And it really does mean to kind of search out and find anything you can. And the word that he's using, anything, matters because he's using it before every one of these things. Anything that is true, anything that is honorable, anything that is righteous. And he's saying that because he's saying, I want you to look far out. Not just in your community, but look far out into the world. Look in the culture outside of your church. Look in every person, everywhere you can. Look broad and wide and ask yourself, wherever I see things that are true, I'm going to focus and think about those things. Wherever I see things that are honorable, I'm going to think about those things. Wherever I see things that are beautiful, that are lovely, I'm going to think on these things. He says, rather than cut yourself off from everyone, and assume that the only truth is the truth that is found right here inside your community of people, which is exactly what we do when we're undergoing persecution, right? Is we put up walls and we say, there's nothing that I can get from them. I'm going to stay in here. In fact, this very passage is often used to defend the idea that Christians are called to only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian movies and only watch Christian TV shows and only engage in Christian stuff because whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, only those things enter in our mind. But like biblically speaking, and commentators agree on this stuff, that what Paul's message is, is not that we are supposed to only focus on Christian things, but it is instead to be looking far for these things even outside the church. Beauty, wherever we can see it, that it reflects God. And especially in people. Because God is supposed to be evident in his creation. Bible says that. And the, and, the, and the centerpiece of his creation is man. Which means I ought to be able to look at other people and see some of the good things because God made man in his image. But what he's also saying is not just look wide and look far. He's saying be discerning. He's saying be discriminant in the things that you look to and call good. Don't let everybody else tell you what's good and what's valuable and what's true. Discriminate and pick out the things. Don't say, what does the outside culture in the world tell me is true? Say, what is true of God and his word? And then how do I see that? 
And how do I let that truth be at the forefront of my mind, the most important thing? This is Paul's advice to the church. One of the hardest things for many to believe is that we don't have a monopoly on all of the good things in the world. And it's one of the reasons why we're often very separated from the world and we have no witness to the world. Is because we believe, we objectively believe, I can't gain anything from a relationship with somebody who isn't a part of the church. And that's simply not true. And if we do believe that way, then we'll never have a relationship with anyone who's outside the walls of the church. Because it won't be real, and we won't care. And I can say that there are people that I've known who are Christians, who, have, who, have done, who are more loving, naturally, than I am. Now, I'm not saying that that person is saved, but that person has taught me what it looks like to be better at loving others. Paul is saying that what we are to do is that we are to embrace the good wherever we find it and that we are to do so in a discriminating way. So what this does to us is it does this. It defines us as a group of people and as individuals in a very important way, and it is this. Because we think this way, because our minds are set on these things, we are a very hopeful people. We are a very optimistic people. You go, okay, well, yeah, right? Sure. Is a follower of Jesus, a person who is distinguished amongst others by pointing out all of the bad things that they see, or is a follower of Jesus one who is distinguished amongst others because of the great hope that they have? How easy is it for us to focus and believe that it is our job to be the one saying, here's everything that's broken. Here's how bad everything is. It's like we're in an intervention with the world. And if we can communicate how bad and messed up they are, then they'll hit rock bottom and they'll come back and say, now please help me get better. But if, but if we were really meant to just fix all the problems and fix everything and put everything right that's wrong that bugs us, is that what Jesus would have done? Isn't that what Paul would have done? Wouldn't they have been on a crusade to liberate all the people and all the groups and equalize everything that they possibly could? But that's not what they did. Instead, focusing on the kingdom of God and communicating the gospel, they made it very clear that that hope that we have speaks louder than anything else. And it ought to be what defines us. And so we set our mind on these things. And by doing that, we are a different people. But that's hard for many of us to believe who have probably lived for maybe even a long time believing that our very place in the world is simply to be the one that points out how bad everything is. And Paul is quite literally saying to a church under persecution, think on these good things. Now, does Paul also preach the importance of repentance in order for someone to be saved? Yes. Does Jesus preach the importance of repentance to be saved? Yes. But what characterized their interactions with all of the people that they came into contact with? We can't see ourselves as nothing but the fixers, the problem solvers, the critical eyes. We just can't because that's not the way that a person is characterized in Scripture. 
a person who takes inventory of the things that are fallen. We are hopeful. We are the optimists. This is hard for me because I'm a pretty critical person. I can be a pessimist. And I've often spent long periods of time in my life believing that that is what we're called to be. Is that above all else? But do I believe that that's truly what the world needs? The fact is, the longer I've lived my life, the more I've realized that there's no shortage of people pointing out problems in the world. It's one of my favorite quotes from The Office. I was watching The Office a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Dwight in The Office said, uh, he said, I'm a number two. I don't fix problems. I just point them out. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really funny quote, especially if you've been involved in leadership at all. I got to confess something. When I was an associate pastor, I was a really, really good number two. I was constantly pointing things out all the time. And I was like, it was just even just things in the church. Families that do this, men who act like this, women who act like this, young people who can't seem to do this, old people who aren't willing to do this. That was just inside the church. And I thought what the church needs is just somebody to be able to come in and just point all that stuff out. Somebody else will figure it out. Somebody else will solve the problem. And then I began to realize there aren't a lot of solutions that people are offering. And you all know what this is like to sit in a group of people and have an infinite number of people coming up with problems, but no one coming up with an actual solution. What distinguishes a Christian is not just the fact that we know what's wrong with the world, but it is the fact that we have the only hope for an answer to any of those things. And so we are to dwell on those things and be characterized as being a people who offer that hope and those things. If we don't, we run the risk of being people whose minds are set on vengeance and punishment, who have bitterness and fear, who are set on criticism and rebuke, and bring out nothing but resentment in other people. In fact, the most core fundamental belief of Christianity, I think, apart from Jesus saving us, is that God himself is big enough, he's good enough, and he's powerful enough, not only to create everything, but to recreate everything if he chooses to. And if we believe and are confident in that God, then what does that look like in the way that we think and the way that we live? One of my favorite... um, One of my favorite quotes that talks about the Christian life is a quote from C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity. Um, He talks in his book about the the prevalency of there being, the the common occurrence of people in the world who, who say that they are religious people and they do nothing but try to act differently all the time and that that doesn't really work and that the world is actually full of people who are acting religious and trying to behave differently, thinking that somehow that will change uh, the way that they are, and they're finding that that doesn't work. And here's how he explains that. He says, that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And that is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings, coming in 
out of the wind. I cannot think of a more accurate description of what it is to set our minds on things and the daily struggle that it is for someone who, who is a believer. Because ultimately what that comes down to is we wake up each day and we push away all those other things that are crowding out the influence on our minds. And some of us, it happens in the middle of the night. And we push those things away and we say, I will instead think on these things that are true and that are honorable and that are beautiful, that are pure, that are lovely, that are excellent. And in thinking on these things, I will truly be able to stand firm rather than just be a person who's trying to act differently for a season. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you're a God who, because you created us, you understand the way that we work. You understand how our minds work and how our hearts work, and so we can come to you knowing that we will hear in your word the way that we truly are and that we must function and be, Lord. And for, for, for those of us who are so often setting our minds upon upon nothing but the negative, upon the lies, upon, the, upon nothing but the sin and the ugliness that we see in the world, Lord. We just ask that you would forgive us, God, and that you would change our ways of thinking, Lord. And then even in this time as we worship God and as we focus on you and the hope that is found in you alone, that it would remind us, Father, that our very minds, not just the quality of our thoughts, but the very quantity of our thoughts should be devoted to these good things, Father. And that as we do that, God, that like a steering wheel directs a car, that these things will direct us in the way that we live, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. What it is to, to really set our minds on you and think about you, to set our gaze upon you and fix our eyes upon Jesus. Um, there's no better example of that than in the Psalms, Father, where David, amongst going through so much turmoil and trial in his life, and, and saying it so honestly, crying out to you, Lord, he follows it up each time by simply talking about who you are, about what you've done and what you will do as a way of fixing his own mind in times of great difficulty on you, Lord. Our praise is that as we, as we even look in those very same Psalms ourselves, as we reflect on you, God, that we would be changed by our minds uh, being fixed upon Jesus and upon you, Lord that that would change us so dramatically and so greatly that it would be obvious that we are who we are because of you and not our own effort, Lord. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you tonight. See you tonight.